Hello, this is Alex Granados, news reporter for Education NC, and you're listening to Ed Talk. Today we're talking with Eric Hall. He is the president and CEO of Communities and Schools and will soon become the first superintendent of the Achievement School District. Eric, welcome to Ed Talk. I appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity to be involved in this conversation and look forward to the dialogue ahead. So I kind of said some of this at the top, but uh, I'll let you explain uh, for listeners who don't know what an Achievement School District is, what are we talking about? Well, in North Carolina, the Achievement School District was established by our General Assembly last year. And uh, in statute, it is a district that is designed to be a statewide district that helps to address some of the needs of our lowest performing schools in the state, particularly those schools that have been continuously low performing. Uh, The way that the legislation is currently designed, it is set up to look at five elementary schools across the state. Uh, With those five elementary schools, again, with you know, a history of being low performing here in our state, Uh, no more than one school per district. So it wouldn't be a situation where you go and you get three schools in one district, two schools in another district. It's no more than one of those schools per district. And it has to be a mix of rural and urban settings. And ultimately what will happen is that these schools that have been, you know, persistently low performing, my role will be to kind of serve as a chief negotiator Uh, with the local community, the school district, and with an education management organization or a charter management organization and help to bring together, you know, both of those those organizations together as partners to try to really help improve the conditions and the outcomes for the students in those five five schools in this first round. And we should say this is a pilot program, so this is essentially a test to see how this works out. It is. And, you know, while it is a test, there are some other states that have gone before us in trying to use similar models. And so my biggest goal in coming into this work is looking at how can we be innovative in this space, learn from those that have gone before us, and also create our own shadow without living in the shadows of others that have maybe tried some of this work in other areas. So start to create something here that's innovative and context dependent on what we know about North Carolina. And uh, as I mentioned at the top, you are currently the president and CEO of Communities and Schools. And uh, when's your last day? So my last day here will be May 15th. And do you start your new job the day after? I do. I'll be starting, uh, I guess, based over at the North Carolina Department of Public Instruction. Uh, We'll be based there starting on May 16th. Okay. And, um, you know, when this legislation was being talked about in the General Assembly, it was fairly controversial. Mm Uh, Why did you decide to throw your hat in the ring? Well, I think part of it is, you know, being being an educator myself. I started my career as an educator, worked as a school administrator, uh, did a lot of my career in the field of education in the state of Florida, Um, had an opportunity to expand my reach uh, into other states like Louisiana, Uh, saw a lot of the work that was evolving with the recovery school district in that state, trying to kind of wear my research hat a little bit too and look at what was happening with trends in other states that were trying some of this work. And I guess for me personally, you know, North Carolina is my home. I would much rather be engaged in this conversation and be able to provide some thought leadership and help to frame out what this looks like on the front end than waiting, you know, for us to kind of get into this work and see what happens. Um, So I think for me, this was a personal calling. This is something my entire career has been dedicated to students. I have worked with students that have been in the juvenile system. I've worked with students that um, have been in non-traditional school settings. And then in my current work with communities and schools, it's been about how do we remove barriers for kids 
that, particularly in high poverty settings, how do we remove those barriers so that they can achieve in school? And so for me, this is really a personal calling. I love my work at communities and schools. I've had the best job ever. But for me, this was an opportunity. You only have one chance ever as a state to start this work from the beginning. And this was something that uh, we don't have a choice but to try to figure it out and get it right because we have kids that are waiting for something different. And at the same time, we have communities that are waiting for some answers. And I think we need to figure out how do we develop a plan that is a best fit for that local community while staying focused on the end users of what this work is all about, which are students. So you, you mentioned there um, your experience with some other states and things they tried to do that were somewhat similar. So what are some lessons learned from what other states have done that you feel like you can bring to the Achievement School District here? Well, I think one is um, it's going to be really important that we really have candid, very intentional community conversations in, in those areas where these schools might potentially be considered to become part of this Achievement School District model. Uh, we need to engage parents. You know, again, parents are the recipient of this service for their children. So we owe it to them, we owe it to the children, we owe it to the larger community to have an open conversation about what this work is really about and also peel back some of the layers so they better understand, okay, what is it that's going on in their school? What is it that you know, may be contributing to why their school is low performing? Um, there's a lot of factors that go into why a school might be low performing. One of the trends that we do know when we look at data at the state level is that the great majority of our low performing schools have high percentage of students that are coming from impoverished backgrounds. So we've got to figure out, okay, what is the formula for trying to get this right? Um, but I think some of the lessons learned, back to your question, uh, it's, there's a lot of things. I mean, there's a study from Vanderbilt that talks about the Tennessee model. Um, I was really glad when I read this legislation that our state uh, learned from Tennessee because one of the things that's in the Tennessee model is a component called the I-Zone, which is an innovation zone. And basically what that does is that let's hypothetically say there's this school district. They have a school that comes into the Achievement School District. We go through that process. We can then, through a process of working with that local school district, we can authorize up to three other low-performing schools in that district to have charter school flexibility and to give them some opportunities to be innovative in their own space under their control and create what's called an I-Zone. Uh, in the budget right now, based on the legislation, opportunities to have matching grants so that we can invest in having a team that will support that innovation zone that works for the local district. And so for me, that's something that's excited. That's something that our state already looked ahead and said, okay, the I-Zone model in Tennessee was showing some good signs of success. How do we replicate that? So it's in legislation. We've got to learn from that and continue to study and pay attention to what the research and the trend and the data says. Some other things, too, with Louisiana. Now, Louisiana, a lot of their work, obviously, is well known from New Orleans, and a lot of that emerged quickly after Hurricane Katrina. So I think with that, there might be some things that we can learn operationally about worked, what worked well. But again, I, I said this earlier in one of my other comments, context matters, and we need to look at how does the context of what's happening in North Carolina, what are the factors that are very specific to our state and to our local communities, and try to, again, learn from some of the operational things that have taken place in places like Louisiana and Tennessee while creating our own narrative in this state about how we're going to approach this work and take our time to learn and get this right. We don't have an opportunity to come in here and experiment for too long because we have to 
we got to do something for these schools. These are schools that have been consistently low performing. And while I'm, I am confident that there are great people with the best of intentions doing all that they can in these schools, we need to try something different. So how are we going to innovate that space and bring people to a point to where we are focused on the end users, which again are students? So, <clears throat> excuse me, I think, uh, you know, part of the controversy that arose around this legislation was the fact that potentially some of these schools, they're, they're going to be uh, operated by outside operators, not by any particular school district. And those operators could be charter management org- organizations, which would kind of make them a charter school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was part of the controversy. Do you, how, how do you see that aspect of this? <clears throat> well, so I guess first and foremost, you know, I've been asked before, where do I stand on, you know, things like charter schools? And what I would tell you is that I'm an advocate for good schools. And I think with that, um, there are some organizations that have had great success in operating those types of schools in communities that potentially needed something different. I think the piece about the legislation that I like is that part of my role and responsibility is going to be to, and I will work with the team on this, we will have to look at who are the folks that know this data very well. Um, We need to look and examine about who has been successful in this space. Um, We're not talking about just opening it up for a free-for-all. This is about finding those that are qualified, those that have a good plan in place on how they can help us address these needs. And then part of that is what are we going to do to monitor that effectiveness over time? It's not just turn over a school and step away and let's see what happens five years later. This is going to be something that is going to have myself and my team involved in continuing to partner and monitor what's happening in these school sites. But at the same time, the legislation calls for an evaluation. So we're going to be able to study this over time too. And again, part of a study is not always looking at what happens at the end. Part of a good research design is that you're looking along the way about what's working and what's not. And then how do we use that research along the way to inform our decisions? So I think to your point, I understand why there's controversy around having an an outside organization come in and manage these operations for a period of time. But my hope is, is that we can be bold enough as a state and be bold enough in our local communities to say, if these schools have been struggling for quite some time, can we potentially think about something different? Because in the end, these are local assets. These schools belong to the local community. And even though they're going to be managed for a period of time by this charter-type management organization, fact is, at the end of five years, or potentially eight, because there could be an extension of a contract for three years based on the legislation, at the end of that five to eight year period, these schools are going to be turned back over for local control. So we owe it to those communities to get this right and to find the right partners that come in with the end in mind. We don't start out thinking, okay, how are we going to manage these schools day to day? We talk about what are we doing to prepare these schools day one for when they ultimately turn back over to local control? I think it's going to be an interesting experiment because, um, you know, like you said, there's going to be a mix of urban and rural schools. And in my experience, visiting schools, those are two entirely different kinds of schools. And the way the strategies for addressing the needs of those schools are entirely different. And you kind of have to juggle that all in one. Um, is that something that you've given much thought to? Oh, I've given it thought since the beginning when I first saw the legislation come out. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think that's part of the benefit in my background. You know, even with communities and schools, you know, we work very closely with schools in urban areas. 
we work very closely with schools in rural areas. I think I have a good understanding of what those needs and challenges look like in each context. And I won't say all contexts, but at least in the rural and urban dynamic, when you talk about access to resources and, and, and other things that can really differentiate what a rural and urban community may be dealing with. Um, but I think that's the, again, the benefit of the legislation is that we are expected, you know, as an, an achievement school district, we are expected to really do our due diligence and look at those organizations that have had effectiveness in these types of settings. So I think it's not about creating a one-size-fits-all. It's about finding what is the right fit for that local community based on the dynamics and challenges that they are facing. And so what happens if at the end of all of this you find that the Achievement School District wasn't actually successful in dramatic, well, maybe not even dramatically, but improving the educational outcomes in these schools? It's a big question. <laughs> um, obviously, I mean, it, it is something that I've given some thought to, but I think, you know, part of innovation is how do you take risk along the way to try something different? And as we think about innovation, whether you're talking about the I-Zone or anything else, I think there's enough research out there to show that once we provide some flexibility and some different ways of doing things, that I expect that we're going to see some different outcomes in many cases than what we've seen so far. Um, I think that you know we have to, again, part of a good research design, in my opinion, is that we monitor that progress along the way. We look at what's working, we try to figure out, okay, what things are not working, and then how are we accountable enough as a, as a district to this state and to those local communities to know when we might need to make some changes and shifts along the way. I don't think we have an opportunity to wait for five years to eight years to pass and say, wow, we didn't hit the mark. Students don't have that luxury of waiting for us to figure out how to get it right. So I think we're going to have to hold ourselves accountable, our partners accountable, whoever these you know organizations might be that are coming in and we're entrusting to manage these schools on behalf of the local community, we have to make sure we get this right. So again, we can't wait till the end to see if it worked or if it didn't work. And so those are gonna be things that are gonna create a lot of conversation. It's gonna create opportunities for us to take a deep dive into, again, what's working and what's not, and be accountable enough to make those changes when we need to. And so, Given the fact that there's so much controversy over the legislation and controversy over the project, there's obviously going to be a lot of eyes on this, a lot of media eyes, a lot of uh, politician eyes, and I'm sure you knew that going into all this, but that, that's an added layer that I think many administrators don't deal with at this level. Um, how have you been thinking about that? Well, right now is a perfect example as we're sitting here talking. You know, I had to, <laughs> um, I've had to give that a lot of thought because ultimately my background is definitely more of the educator and definitely a strong perspective on being the advocate for the student. And I'm not a politician. I've never worked in media. I've always been very comfortable operating to help promote change for students um, and help to remove barriers. So that's going to be an area that. Uh, you know, I'm going to have to continue to keep at the forefront and think about because in the end, I think we have an opportunity to tell this story to the state because the fact is our state did take a risk in trying something very new. And so through the media, we have to be open about that. we got to tell that story and allow that story to be told about what's working and maybe what's not. Um, from a policy standpoint, 
I think part of the job that I have to be entrusted with and have been entrusted with as I go into this is I have an obligation to report back about what we're doing and what, what we're going to be doing, both to our policymakers, our communities, and to the media. So I don't see a lot of differentiation in that from the standpoint that we have to be open, we've got to be transparent, there's nothing to hide here, but we have to be able to tell that story and allow that story to be told so that ultimately between me, the team, and as a state, we're held accountable to what we're going to be embarking on in this journey towards creating the Achievement School District. So uh, tell me a little bit about the process. You're going to start the job here shortly. and. Uh, you know, hiring the superintendent was kind of the keystone to, to starting this project, and now it's going to kind of be up to you to move it forward. No schools have been chosen yet. Um, so once you hit the ground, what's the process going to look like? You know, I try to give that as much thought as I possibly can. <clears throat> but, you know, part of my goal right now has been to remain focused on really ensuring a strong transition in my role at communities and schools. Uh, making sure that this organization continues to be successful and that I am supporting our team through that process. As I start to think about this next chapter and how I prepare for the work with the Achievement School District, I think one of the first things is getting a good strong grasp of what things potentially do we need to look at as we prepare for looking at the data. What do we need to know about these schools that potentially might be identified? So there's going to be a lot of analysis of data and trends. There's also going to be a need to start thinking about how do we how do we chronicle this work because we don't want to start something that we don't document we got to be able to again document this process so that we can go back and learn from the things that we're going to be embarking on in this in this strategy but um, I think the other part of it is getting out and getting to know the communities I mean I am probably not likely to be the person that sits in an office on a regular basis my task is to be out in the communities we cannot do this work setting in Raleigh we have to do this work setting in schools. So a big part of my job is going to be going out and meeting who are our partners, who are the folks that are currently doing this work, and how do we engage in some constructive dialogue about what options potentially exist. Because the ASD is not the only option now either. <clears throat> there are some other things out there that have emerged, everything from the restart model to um, even looking at the lab schools that are you know going on. I think that's the exciting part about this day and age in our education system in North Carolina, is that now we have multiple options to think about how do we support and innovate our education space, particularly in those schools that are, again, showing some signs of being chronically low performing. Um, but it is, it's gonna take being in schools. You can't do this work sitting in an office. We can look at the data sitting in an office, but once we see the data, how do we bridge that to what we know is happening in that space day in and day out inside those schools. What is the narrative that needs to be told from within those spaces? And then learn from that as we go forward and lay out a plan that works best for that school. How long till you think um, the Achievement School District is fully up and running? Well, I guess it depends on how you define fully. Um, the way the legislation reads right now is that <clears throat> the schools would have to be identified and taken before the State Board of Education by January 15th. And then by February 15th, you have to have basically identified the EMO or the CMO, that charter management organization. And that's of 2018? So that would be this coming January. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And, uh, and so with that, there will be a lot of work going on in the fall. Uh, we owe it to the communities to have conversations 
and have multiple meetings and discussions about which schools we, we think ultimately would be identified. Those will be conversations that again happen at the local level where I'll be engaged in talking to the superintendent, the school board, the county commission, talking to parents and families, creating forums for discussion, talking to the educators and the team at the school. There's gonna be a lot of layers of, of just, again, communication that's gonna to have to be managed so that we can have good dialogue, identify those schools, and then once we've had all that conversation, then by January 15th, then I would take those schools before the state board uh, for hopefully approval, which means then that following fall, meaning the 18-19 school year, by legislation we have to have at least two schools identified by then, and then by that following year, all five schools uh, officially in the ASD. Sounds like you have a lot of work to do between now and then. It is, but you know, it's good work and it's important work. Um, it's, uh, again, we owe it to the students. We owe it to the families and we owe it to those local communities to think about some different solutions to make this work. Doesn't mean it's gonna be easy. It's gonna be, it's gonna be challenging. We're gonna have to have a lot of critical conversations about how do we approach this. And there will be some folks that are, you know, are happy with where we land in this work and there will be some that aren't. And my goal though is to try to make sure that we don't create debris in this process because if we create debris then ultimately the kids are the ones that are going to suffer. And that is something that to me is a non-negotiable. We got to figure out as the adults how do we have this conversation and work through a strategy that in the end is going to be focused on the students needs. When we were talking before we started recording about your budget uh, it's about $400,000, and um, your salary has been printed in newspapers. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's a sizable portion of that. Um, so, you know, have you, have you thought a lot about, all right, how can I make this work within these restrictions? I've definitely given it a lot of thought. I wouldn't say that I'm anywhere yet where I have landed on an official design of what that's going to look like. Um, it does mean that it's going to be a small team where we all have to wear a lot of different hats. Um, and we're going to have some navigating that we have to do and how do we make that all work because in the end while a lot of the operational work is going to fall on the charter management organizations that would be identified there is a lot of initial work and in being able to evaluate the schools evaluate the organizations and their fit and their history of being successful so we will have a lot of work on the front end but Part of that may mean that we also look at organizations out there that are third party that can help us do some of this work and help us make sure that we have an objective view of who is it that has been really successful in this space. Other states that have gone before us have used those third party organizations that are out there to really help evaluate EMOs and CMOs, those charter groups, to see who's been effective. And I think if there's groups out there that have done some of that work, those are some of the resources we might want to think about for our, our strategy initially um, but again it's way too early for me to know and and candidly I've got a lot to learn about how to even look at posting positions and don't even know how that works yet so uh, I will learn that once I get over there on the 16th I'm sure all right Eric well thank you for talking with me listen I appreciate the conversation and um, hopefully we'll continue to have more conversations about this work as we go forward and uh, really look to you know the media helping us to tell this story and same time to hold us accountable for the outcomes that are to come. So thank you. Thank you. We've been talking with Eric Hall, President and CEO of Communities and Schools. He is soon going to take on the role of Superintendent of the Achievement School District. And this is Alex Granados, reporter for Education NC, and you've been listening to Ed Talk. <laughs>